Welcome to this podcast of the Sunday Message from Hope Gateway, a United Methodist community in Portland, Maine. If you live locally, we'd love to have you join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. Visit our website at www.hopegateway.com to learn more. But whether you live near or far, we hope you find this message to be meaningful. Wherever you are, join us in doing justice, loving kindness, and walking humbly with God. Well, friends, it was two months ago that I shared the news of my upcoming transition from Hope Gateway to the BTS Center. And at the time, two months seemed like a really long time. I don't know about you, but it feels like it went by really fast, and July 1st snuck upon us. Although I will continue to be part of the Hope Gateway community, and I'm exceedingly grateful for that. Today is my last Sunday as one of the pastors of Hope Gateway. Deep breath when you say something like that. I don't know about you, but I'm not someone who finds transitions easy. Is there anyone in the room who really loves a good big life transition, like you thrive on them? Okay, Jen does one. Anyone else? There was one at 9 o'clock as well, and he was about, how old was he? Nine months old? Yeah. His parents insisted he loves good life transitions. Change is hard. Transitions are not easy. Sarah will tell you, I don't even do well with small transitions. Like the transition from work to vacation, and the transition from vacation back to work. I don't do well with that. Usually when I'm starting a vacation, I spend a good chunk of the first couple of days totally distracted by all the things I didn't get done before I left on vacation, answering lingering emails, you know, trying to tie up loose ends, and then finally settle into vacation, just in time for vacation to end, And then when it's time to come back into the saddle, I I really feel out of sorts for a couple of days. I have a feeling that this transition will leave us all feeling a little out of sorts for a while. And that's okay. I expect this transition will feel a little bit weird and a little bit complicated for you, for Sarah and the rest of the growing Hope Gateway leadership staff team, and for me. It will take some time for all of us to find our way, to settle into new roles and new ways of being, and to live into the new normal. Transitions are stressful. Change is hard. Which is why we thought it might be a good idea for a few weeks to share in a worship series called Brave change, remembering that God is with us in the midst of change. You've probably heard this expression attributed to the Greek philosopher Heraclitus. Read it with me. The only thing constant in life is change. It's true, isn't it? 
Now, Heraclitus lived from about four, 535 to 475 BCE. It's interesting that that was his observation 500 years before Jesus was born. I'm guessing the pace of change has picked up a little bit over the last 2,500 years, don't you think? So if that was true 2,500 years ago, it is definitely even more true today. The only thing constant in life is change. So the question isn't whether we will encounter change or not, because change is actually inevitable. The question is, how will we navigate through the inevitable changes of life? And I think that's a really important spiritual question that all of us need to ask. Even though change is constant, and maybe especially because it's constant, change is hard. Change raises our anxiety. Even when it's good change, even when it's well-timed change or, or much anticipated change, change is difficult. So if you were here on October 28th, the Sunday after Easter, when I shared my announcement, you might remember this image. These words that I encountered spray painted on <clears throat> the concrete floor of the parking garage at the University of Southern Maine as I was dashing off to a meeting and I was rounding a corner in the stairwell and these words caught my attention. You can be brave slowly. I love it. And I have no idea what it means. <laughs> except that I think it means something like bravery, courage, does not come to us all at once like a gift. It's something that we usually have to live into. You can be brave slowly. Brave change. Into this moment of change and all the emotions that it brings, I want to share a few words from the Hebrew Scriptures from the prophet Isaiah. Actually, from biblical scholars tell us from 2nd Isaiah, a prophet who lived and wrote during the 6th century before Jesus, written while the Israelites were in exile. Jerusalem had been attacked and destroyed. The people had been taken from their homeland into captivity. They're bearing the weight and the pain of exile. They're feeling far from home, cut off from everything they know. And they are afraid that God has deserted them. But into this fear and uncertainty and apprehension about the future, God speaks words of hope. And I'm reading from the message. So this is a kind of contemporary interpretation from Isaiah 43. But now God's message, the God who made you in the first place, Jacob, the one who got you started, Israel, says, don't be afraid. I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you're in over your head, I'll be there with you. When you're in rough waters, you will not go down. When you're between a rock and a hard place, it won't be a dead end. Because I am God, your personal God, the Holy of Israel, your Savior. I paid a huge price for you. 
all of Egypt with rich, rich Cush and Seba thrown in. That's how much you mean to me. That's how much I love you. I would sell off the whole world to get you back. Trade all creation just for you. So don't be afraid. I am with you. I'll round up all your scattered children. I'll pull them in from the east and the west. I'll send orders north and south. Send them back. Return my sons from distant lands, my daughters from faraway places. I want them back, every last one who bears my name, every man, woman, and child whom I created for my glory, yes, personally formed and made each one. And then skipping ahead. This is what God says, the God who builds a road right through the ocean, who carves a path through the pounding waves, the God who summons horses and chariots and armies. They lie down and then can't get up. They're snuffed out like so many candles. God says, forget about what's happened. Don't keep going over old history. Be alert. Be present. I'm about to do something brand new. It's bursting out. Don't you see it? There it is. I'm making a road through the desert, rivers in the badlands. To a people who are filled with uncertainty and fear, who are feeling cut off, who have lost their mooring, who are apprehensive about the future, God offers words of comfort and companionship. God reminds them that no matter what kind of challenges they might be facing, God is still with them. They are still God's people, and God is still their God. And God offers these same words of reassurance to us whenever in life we feel apprehensive or uncertain about the future, whenever we face fears about what might happen, God speaks words of comfort and companionship, reminding us of God's constant loving presence to sustain us. I don't know about you, but I'm going to hold these words in my heart through the days ahead, and I hope that you will too. You might not be surprised to know that as this sort of threshold approaches, I've been feeling a tad nostalgic. Just a tad, just a tad nostalgic. Thinking about all the different stages and phases of Hope Gateway's life that we have shared together over these 12 years. It fills me with the deepest kind of joy and a tremendous amount of awe to think about where we have been together and where we are today. So I'm going to take us on a little trip down memory lane. And for some of you, these memories that I will share predate you. Okay, because all of us have come along at some point. So this will be kind of new for some of you, like sort of telling our story a little bit. Twelve years ago, on July 1st, Sarah and I led worship with the former Chestnut Street congregation. They affectionately called themselves the remnant because they were the few that were left over after the small congregation sold off the big historic Chestnut Street Church facility. Some of you in the room were part of that group. Shirley, for sure. 
Raise your hand, Shirley. Don and Sue. I'm thinking about our first Sunday. Colette. And maybe nobody else in the room. Jim. Jim. Welcome back, Jim. Jim has left us for Michigan, but he's back. I'm, it's right. I'm, but it's wonderful. On our first Sunday, with this remnant congregation meeting in Etzkayam Synagogue on Congress Street, across from India Street, heading up Munjoy Hill, there were 13 of us on that first Sunday. 13 of us. It felt very strange. Sarah and I had been serving separate churches in Massachusetts. I was in Hudson, and Sarah was in Sudbury, and they were both active growing congregations. On our last Sunday in the end of June, our, the combined worship attendance of those two churches was well over 500 people. And then on July 1st, we showed up at Etzkayam Synagogue and there were 13 people. This is a picture from one of our first Sundays. 12 years ago. We actually dressed up in robes and stoles. Can you believe we did that? Can you believe we did that? That's why we felt like we were playing. This is one of our first Sundays at Etzkayam Synagogue. Yeah, I didn't have a beard either. And not nearly as much white hair. And that bald spot has grown considerably over 12 years. It was a beautiful little community. But it was kind of weird. For music... We had a boombox and CDs with MIDI files for the hymns. And Juanita Watson, who's no longer with us, would put in the right CD and sort of advance to the right track. And about 80% of the time, she'd get the right track. <laughs> and then we would sing with the CDs. And that's how we did church. Remember that, Don, Sue, Jim? Remember Shirley? Yeah. Those were the good old days, right? <laughs> But on that first Sunday, after we led worship, we got in the car with Rachel in the back seat in her car seat. She was not quite one year old yet. Driving home, I looked at Sarah and I said, what are we doing here? I mean, really, it felt a little bit like we were playing church. Everything felt so uncertain. And by the way, this was a picture taken that summer. <laughs> that was in our first weeks in Portland. We were living in a borrowed space in Scarborough, and that's the back deck because the parsonage wasn't quite ready for us yet. They were removing lead from every, every flat surface in the house, including the kitchen cabinets, ripping kitchen cabinets out. And Rachel's going to turn 13 in a few weeks. Everything felt so uncertain in those early days. There was no roadmap. Now, don't get me wrong. We were so happy to be in Portland. It's what we had wanted. In fact, we did a very un-Methodist thing. And we went to our bishop and said, we would like to be appointed to co-pastor a new church start in Portland, Maine. That's what we did. And you, if those of you who have been United Methodists for a while know, you don't do that. But we did that, and there was a lot of hemming and hawing, and finally they said yes, and here we were, and we were thrilled. But now that we were here with one Sunday under our belt, 
the question was very real. How in the world would we form a viable congregation? The stakes were very much against us. This is not a time, especially in New England, especially in Maine, the least religious state in the country, where anyone would predict that it would be super easy to start a new church in Portland, Maine. But guess what? We have done it. By God's grace, we have formed a beautiful, thriving community. And the thing is, who we are today is so much more beautiful, more profound than anything we could have imagined 12 years ago. Take a minute and just look around this room. Look around this room at the beloved community that we have formed together by God's grace. It's amazing. Today we are old and young, lifelong Mainers and new immigrants, gay and straight and transgender, people of various abilities and disabilities. We are cradle Christians and people exploring new faith for the first time, full of questions, sometimes skeptical, a little jaded at times, striving to be authentic, rethinking what it means to follow Christ and striving to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with God. Now, just for perspective, we have gone on an apple picking trip every year since 2008. This was our first apple picking group. <laughs> and that's Rachel right in the middle. And that's little Charlotte, her BFF, still her BFF today. And there's Erica, and there's Wanda, and Marissa, who is now a college graduate, right in the middle. That was 2008. This was the next year, 2009. Jumping ahead, this was our group this last year. I love looking at these pictures because they remind us of this journey that we have been on together. This past week, I was trying to clean out the office and clean out my desk in there. I'm really sorry. I need an extension. It's not going to be done by July 1st, but I'm getting there. So as I was going through things, I found this folder. Anyone want to guess what this folder is? Tattoos! <laughs> Thank God, no. This is the offering counters reports from 2007 to 2014. I don't know why I was keeping them in these folders. This is before we started scanning them and stuff. Um, this is going in the recycling bin, by the way. Um, I actually threw it in the recycling bin immediately, and then I pulled it out because I was just curious to see what our offering and worship attendance were in those early days. So they go all the way back to July of 2007. 13 on that first Sunday, and they range from, you know, 14, 10, 17, 16, 8. Those were, that's where we started. So it's a great little trip down memory lane. So far in the year 2019, our average Sunday worship attendance is 113 people, with many Sundays over 120. And on Easter Sunday this year, we had our all-time highest number of people, 163 people in worship. 
The numbers aren't the things that matter the most, except they show us that we have overcome some tremendous hurdles, including some financial hurdles that over the years have kept me awake at night more than <laughs> once. But we have come through them. What's more important than numbers, though, of course, is just that these numbers are an indicator of a growing church that is making a difference. The real impact is in the lives of each one of us who are blessed to call ourselves members of the Hope Gateway community. In the lives of asylum seekers who found a safe place to land within the Hope Gateway community and or at Hope House. In families experiencing homelessness who have felt the love and support of Greater Portland Family Promise. In the hundreds and hundreds of people in recovery from addiction who found spiritual community and real hope for a new life within the walls of our church. And these are just a few examples. We have grown in many different ways over these 12 years. And without a shred of a doubt, we can say that the mission and ministry of Hope Gateway matters. It matters in our lives and it matters in the city of Portland. So if we started with 13 people, then that means the rest of you in this room have come along sometime since then. How many of you have some memory of the first time you walked through the doors of Hope Gateway? Raise your hand if you have a memory like that. That's pretty cool, look around. And here's the thing, chances are pretty good that I also remember the first time you walked through the doors of Hope Gateway because I pay attention to those things. I remember each new person that has come through these doors. You might be surprised to know that almost every Sunday afternoon, Sarah and I talk about the new people who came to worship that morning. Wasn't it great to meet that new couple? Do you remember their names? Did they fill out one of the yellow welcome cards? <laughs> Do you think they'll be back next week? Did you get a chance to talk to so-and-so? This is our Sunday afternoon conversation. Because when a new person walks through our doors, it is significant to me. It's significant to Sarah. It's significant to our community. And it's significant to God. You matter to this community. You matter to Hope Gateway, and you matter to God. If you had never joined this community, we would not be the community that we are today. I'm saying this to each one of you. If you had not joined this community, we would not be the community we are today. Because whenever a new person enters our doors and finds a home here, we are a different community. We are changed by each person God sends to us and by the gifts that they bring to our community. So really quickly, I want to share with gratitude a few of the milestone moments that I celebrate as we cross this threshold of 12 years together and look to the future. Now you might choose different milestones but these are the ones that came to mind for me as I started thinking about these 12 years. And they're in no particular, well, they're sort of in chronological order, I guess. 
The first big milestone was purchasing our first space at 185 High Street site. And I remember, and some of you do too, the year and a half of discernment trying to find a location somewhere downtown Portland that would be right. And I remember visiting all kinds of spaces that were never gonna work. And then I remember the day that we went to the realtor's office and Sue Rudolevich and Shirley Martell signed on the bottom line and it was ours and then we went to High Street and we had a little celebration and Erica ripped those for sale signs out of the window and we were just so filled with hope for what God would do in this place. I remember the joy of that day. New Light Community, which many of you don't know anything about, but this was a really important part of our beginnings. A group that started in the dining room of our parsonage for dinner every week and prayer and conversation and then multiplied to several groups. And some of you are in there. Who do you recognize? Shelly. Shelly, Wanda. Rachel is, it looks like Erica is about to lick Rachel. <laughs> and Catherine is in Rachel, is Sarah's arms up there. Kara is there. Oh, Marissa over here, yeah. And the Tweety Marcher. And I want you to know, I won the ugly sweater contest that night. <laughs> Pretty sure. As well I should, yes, that was a very special sweater. And it had lights that flashed too, you can't see that very well. Anyway, new light, very significant. And then eventually, the way New Light and Chestnut, the two streams merged to form this one community that we call Hope Gateway. Really important and significant moment. The next milestone is the, 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 the day that Kelly joined our staff here. <laughs> truly, truly. Do you remember what I said we were doing for music? Boombox. <laughs> CDs. <laughs> now there was some other stuff in between there. There, was some, there were other music things in between there. But when Kelly joined our team, which is coming up on 10 years now. Next year is 10 years for Kelly. Right around Easter Sunday, I think. Um, I cannot tell you, but those of you who are tired pastors in the room know. I cannot tell you. Oh, whoa, you should. Those of you who are, pastors, who are pastors in the room know the gift that it is when a pastor finds a musician with whom there is synergy. And there has been from the very beginning this incredible synergy between Sarah and me and Kelly in the way we lead worship. It is seamless. There are very few words spoken, but we can read each other's minds and that is such a gift. So thank you, Kelly, truly. <laughs> Next is the day the first asylum seeker walked through our doors. And I remember it profoundly. It was none of those people, although those were some of our early asylum seeker friends. The first was Norbert Cantianeza. Yeah, Colette's in there too, not an asylum seeker. But that was an apple picking, picking outing. Um, Norbert Cantianeza walked through our doors one day and he was looking for help with a security deposit. But we sat down and we had a conversation and we invited him to join us for worship. And you know what he said? I've been to churches all over this town looking for help and nobody has invited me to worship. And he came that next Sunday and he went with us on the fall retreat that was coming up. And then he started inviting friends and every single thing that has come, every single way that we have been in ministry with our asylum seeker friends 
And all of you who are asylum seekers in this room are here because Nor Bear introduced us to that community. I can't say that more, more strongly. Nor Bear eventually moved to Phoenix, Arizona. He met his wife, Rihanna. They have, have gotten married. They have a baby. And they have just recently moved to the other Portland on the other coast where he's settled and we still keep in touch today. So grateful for Norbert Kentianeza. The launching of Hope Acts in 2012, which we celebrated with Jen last Sunday. Is that last Sunday? Yeah. Um, and the opening of Hope House in 2013. I don't need to say more about that. I mean, you know that that is just such a huge moment for Hope Gateway and for Hope Acts. And then, what's that? And for you. And for me. And then, and then at the same time, multiplying to this space with the help of a huge grant that we worked our butts off to get from the New England Conference of the United Methodist Church that allowed us to have these two sites. We did those things at the same moment. We opened Hope House and we opened another site in the same month. And looking back on that, it's still not clear to me how we all survived that. It was a pretty intense period, a milestone. But think about everything that's happened in the, I wonder how many of you in this room only know Hope Gateway at 509 Forest Avenue, don't have any knowledge of Hope Gateway at High Street. See how many? So a lot has changed over these six years. And that was a huge milestone. Growing with Hope, which some of you were involved with. Growing with Hope was a project that we started to serve as a resource to other churches. And so for several years, we had teams from other local churches who came to Hope Gateway three or four times during the year for two-day periods so that we could learn from each other and that uh, gifted leaders from Hope Gateway could share, uh, uh, do some teaching that is helpful for other churches. And we served, we did that for several years. Um, over a dozen churches that benefited from that. This is our first cohort group. And it was a really significant um, undertaking, a significant project that has made a difference. What's that? I am wearing the same shirt, which just tells you I don't buy clothes very often. <laughs> It's true. I don't buy clothes very often. <laughs> Greater Portland Family Promise. Not going to say more about that. You know what a tremendous difference that has made to families experiencing homelessness and to Hope Gateway. So incredibly grateful for that uh, ministry that, that Sarah and Courtney have really built up as a labor of love and all of you who volunteer to make it happen. Then a really hard decision, which was the hard decision to rent out our 185 High Street site and consolidate into this space. That was about a, a year ago? Yeah, just a little over a year ago. And it was a hard decision because we all felt such love and connection in that space, but it was the right decision. And there was a lot of work to move out of that space and, and move here. I tried to find this great picture that I have of Martin climbing up a ladder, and all you can see of him is from his waist down because his head is above the ceiling tiles. And he was trying to disconnect a projector that was hanging above the ceiling tiles. But it's just, just Martin from the waist down on a ladder. It was a lot of work, and some of you worked really hard to make that move to this location. And the thing is, there go physical therapy and performance are amazing tenants, and the rental income from that property is greatly offsetting our expenses to be here. So it was a hard decision, but it was the right decision that has led us to financial sustainability. And, and I'm grateful for that. 
The last milestone is one that is still being written. And that is this big transition that we are undertaking in this moment to move to a team model of leadership for Hope Gateway. Sarah has been working so hard over the last two months to put together a team. And these faces of people you see up here are all people who are joining the Hope Gateway staff team in very little part-time positions to take responsibility for certain areas of ministry. I'm not gonna say more about that right now, but we're gonna be sharing a lot more about that and introducing these people um, very intentionally in the coming weeks. And I think this is a really significant uh, moment that we're in, and I'm very excited about this change. I think we're gonna see uh, tremendous assets from these individuals joining our team. There is much more to come much more to come, and I am certain that the best days of Hope Gateway are ahead of us. You know, this is an unconventional pastor transition, because I'm transitioning, but I'm still going to be part of this community, and I cannot tell you how grateful I am for that. I will continue to share my gifts in ways that are helpful. I'll probably even stand up here from time to time, and I will celebrate every bold step that this community takes into the bright and hopeful future that God places before us. Monday through Friday, I'm going to be doing my best to help the BTS Center live into its own new reality, but this will continue to be my community, and I'm so grateful. So my friends, this is not goodbye, and I'm so glad for that, but this is kind of a moment and what I want to say to all of you more than anything is thank you. Thank you. Thank you. From the bottom of my heart, always and forever, thank you. Amen.